Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey Pediocast. With your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich. Um, I wasn't actually even planning on doing a show this week. I've been uh, eating a lot of good food, spending time with the friends and family, you know, all the typical holiday break stuff. And all of a sudden we get hit with this uh, just truly insane story coming out of Dallas. And I had to spring into action and I threw the PDO Cast bat signal up into the sky. And fortunately, the man that's been at the forefront of it all with his uh, boots on the ground putting in work, uh, whose piece at The Athletic on Friday afternoon sent seismic shockwaves through the hockey ho- hockey world, it's Sean Shapiro. Sean, what's going on, man? Hey, how's it going? It's uh, it's It's been a wild 24 hours here. <laughs> I'll just say it that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like, um, you know, not to equate the two things, but the two times I've had you on the show... Um, I remember the first time you had like just had a kid and, and you were super busy, but we, we kind of squeezed this podcast in to make it work. And now around the holidays, like I said, I wasn't expecting to do the show, but it just kind of came out of nowhere. So I guess, uh, you know, both times we've done these shows, it's been under interesting circumstances, but there's a lot, definitely a lot to talk about with the stars team. Yeah. I think the last time we were on, we were talking quite a bit about the fallout from the, uh, the Carlson, yeah. them not trade, not being willing to trade for Carlson to win it for Menekev and Hashkinen. So yeah, it's, uh, I guess every five, six months, something really big happens and the stars take top headlines. (laughs) Um, Well, listen, I mean, part of what makes this story obviously just so wild is from what I gather, at least, and and you're going to fill me in on this in a second, much more closely since you're uh, much more familiarized with the situation. But from what I gather, the high ups with the stars really wanted to get this message out there. It's not like it was one of those things where, you know, sometimes we see this in sports where something inadvertently gets leaked out, um, you know, whether it's via text messages or emails or someone records a video that's unsuspecting and it kind of comes out into the mainstream and then people react to it. And it's just like an unfortunate blunder. In this case, it really feels like they went out of their way to send this message. And it was, I don't know if it was necessarily um, a thing where it was kind of a, a passionate moment and it just slipped out or how premeditated it was. But, you know, when you get personally the heads up that this is happening, what's going through your head? Are your eyes just lighting up at the thought of how big of a national story this is really going to be? 
Yeah. And so, I mean, the day, the whole day on this was fascinating because I had no idea what I was walking into until the, uh, until the actual interview itself, like Friday. So Friday morning, there's a text message. I get a text message that goes to me, um, and two other writers that cover the team saying, Hey, Jim lights, uh, wants Jim lights is a star CEO. Uh, Jim lights wants to talk to you guys at 1215 about, uh, midpoint of the season stuff. And that, that's, that, that's how it was led into midpoint of the season stuff. And I was the only one available to be there at 1215. I know he talked to one of the other uh, reporters on the phone uh, a little bit later on Friday during the day. But so I go into Jim Lights' office on Friday at 1215, sit down, we're exchanging pleasantries, talking about how, asking how the holidays were and uh, asking about how Christmas was with the family and everything like that. <laughs> and then he says, okay, well, First, I want to start with, what do you think about our hockey team? And so he asks me, what, what, what do I think about the Stars? And then about 30 seconds into my answer, he stops me and, sa- and, he stops me and says, and basically all of a sudden starts going, going into Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan. And this is one of those situations where I probably checked two or three times during this interview to make sure we were completely on the record here. Right. Because this is the type of thing where... It's the type of stuff where you hear off the record sometimes and you hear people get pissed off and stuff like that. But this was something they wanted on the record. They wanted to they wanted to send a message and wanted to send a shot at two that their two best players. And they went out of their way to do so. And not only did not only did I come into his office and and it's there's quite a few things he said where he's actually He's got, he's got, I go in there and he's got a, there's a a piece of paper with Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan scoring totals and where they rank in the league and all of this stuff. It was prepared. Like this was like not, this was like a prepared presentation of how bad these two are. And then not only to tell me that in that conversation, and then after I leave the room to get on the phone and call another reporter to tell them this was, I mean, this would be like if the Senator's Uber video was this, I mean, this would be like the Senator's Uber video was something where the senators filmed themselves and set and, and put it out on purpose. Like, that's what this is like. <laughs> yeah, no, I can imagine you, you were, you just like looking around over your shoulder, like waiting for Ashton Kutcher to come out with the punk cameras and, and, and just surprise you. Cause I, I imagine like it's just such a, a surreal moment that this is obviously happening. Cause I'm sure on Friday morning when you woke up, you know, it's not necessarily out of nowhere because it did feel like it was bubbling for a while. And Jim Montgomery's comments, uh, before the Nashville Predators game, obviously, you know, kind of were, were very, he was very vocal and adamant about his thoughts about the team's performance and how embarrassing it was and the effort. And even though they got the W that night against Nashville, I mean, it's obviously not ideal expecting a, uh, 49 save shutout after out of your goalie. So it, it felt like this was coming for a while, but at the same time, it's just so, um, I guess rare in hockey that we see um, in a sport where stuff is is kept so close to the vest. Usually, that someone goes publicly like this and also um, is so vitriolic towards his own team. Like it just, I don't know. Just reading it, I, I kept scrolling down, waiting for it to be re- like realized it was some sort of a joke or that there was some twist. And it just kept going and going, and that was the most mind blowing part to me. No, and, and I know I keep uh, it's something I when I, I was the one that was writing it when I was writing the story I'm going through and I went, read through this three or four times went through and listened to all those quotes over again I mean this is the type of thing where like my my editor who said my editor when I turned this story and basically said you, you recorded this interview right because this is the type of thing where we really <laughs> got to make sure everything is exactly word for word in the quotes and things like that and I went through and I was going through all of that where it's one of those things where it's like surreal 
it's surreal. Like, okay, what, what is, what really just happened right now? And the, the other thing about it too, is the, it's the type of thing where I keep trying to, and I've talked to some of the other people I work with at the athletic, I've been trying to find it. It's not just a hockey thing. Can you, I've, I've been struggling to find another thing in all of professional sports where a team executive, whether it's football, basketball, or whatever, has gone out of his way to, has gone out of his way to rip a player where he's initiated the meeting. Like we've seen people, we've seen people get, get caught in a heated moment, or we've seen people, things get leaked, but I don't, I can't think of any situation in any pro sport where someone's called the meeting to basically, okay, we're going to, we're going to light a fire. Right. Yeah. No, I love that. Uh, when he's like, write that, write that. That was yeah. a, uh, a great part. And, uh, poor, you know, Brad Ritchie and Gavin Bayruth are probably reading that article going like, Hey, why did we get dragged into this? What the hell? Yep. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but, yes. but no, you're right. I mean, it, it, especially I think just how extreme it is from the perspective that it's not just, you know, if it's one overpaid un- underperforming star player and the GM or the head coach is trying to light a fire under their butt. Like that's one thing we've seen that, but this was such a direct attack at the two guys who are the faces of the franchise and also two guys who have seven or eight years left on their contracts. And it just, it's one of those things we've seen like irreparable damage done where a superstar gets alienated and would potentially want to get out of town. And we'll talk more about the fallout from the actual player perspective here in a second. But the fact that it's the two guys and that, there's such a long-term relationship here brewing. And also they've been in, in Dallas for so long wearing stars uniforms. Like you put all that together. And I do really think it is a pretty unprecedented moment. I mean, Tyler Sagan has nine years left in Dallas. Yeah. <laughs> like he's, he's got an eight year extension. He signed. That hasn't, in even kicked in yet. Yeah. That hasn't even kicked in yet. Like, so he's got, he's got nine years left in Dallas. Jamie Ben still has seven years left. Like there is not, and it's not like these guys are, it's not like these guys are getting moved. I mean, it's not like the GM is moving these guys either. So it, it is, this is something where, um, you're, I mean, it would, it would be, and I'm not saying they would ever take shots at Jason Spezza, but if someone, if say Jason Spezza, say he called me in and said, okay, Jason Spezza is terrible. We'll talk about Jason Spezza. Jason Spezza is leaving on July 1st right. or Jason Spezza is a free agent. Okay. He's gone. That's not that big of a deal, but this is, this is something where you're going after guys who, not only are they part of your hockey team and you're part the part of the core for they're, they're your core for the next seven eight years. Jim Lights works on the business side. I've ne- Tyler Sagan's face is still on the website. Jamie Ben's face is on the arena. Like this is not just this is not just attacking the hockey side. This is attacking your business side too. Like, yep. and and I mean I guess more people are talking about your team. It's the old no no bad news is all. all I mean what what is the uh, I can't even speak right now. The old cliche for all all news is all anyone talking about is a good thing. Yeah, but, something yeah. about publicity or something. Yeah, something. Like yeah, that. Some, something about publicity. But this is not. I mean, this is not good publicity. I mean, no. you have. It sends it sends a bad message to people who are like you know what some people some more people may tune in tonight to watch the game against Detroit out of curiosity right but I've also I've also seen people who are season ticket holders who have reacted on Twitter who have said like why am I going to spend money for why am I going to spend money to go watch a team play where it's run by someone like this like it's not it's it's not just uh it's not just a question of questioning of pushing and trying to get players to do something more on the ice. It also shows a lot about character and what people are actually and what type of people are running the franchise. Well, yeah. And I think when you look at not just hockey, but every sport, like the organizations that are the most well-run and, and, and well-oiled machines, it generally like everyone's kind of pushing and pulling in the same direction. And there's this sort of union where, 
it's a trickle down effect generally from the ownership where they don't meddle and they get out of the way and then they let the GM or the president do their thing. And then that goes down to a shared plan with the coach and the coach executes it and directs that plan to the players. And it's this whole formula. Whereas with this situation, like part of what's weird about it is the person that did step out to make these comments. Like, do you think that if it had been the actual owner himself or if it had been um, either the head coach or Jim Nill, the GM, do you think it would have been received differently? It just feels like we hadn't really heard that much from Jim Lights, at least on a national level. I'm not sure how it is is uh, locally there, yeah. but that, I think that was kind of the surprising thing that, that took people by surprise. Well, I think I think it's I think on one hand this is something the uh, this is something the owner wanted to say, but I think it's it's all this is all calculated. This is yeah. this is this is. Jim, having Jim Lights do it gives the owner the slight, the slight. Uh, well, it's clearly it came from the owner. It gives him the the slight distance, right? Well, the owner gets reference with the text messages at the top of the story. Oh, yeah, yeah, easily, easily. But yeah. I don't, and I, and that's the, and that's something where, but he still gets slight distance since the word for word quote is not from him. Right. However, it still came from the owner. Um, the other thing that's fascinating, I just haven't been able to. It's just been, it feels, it's not just a blind side to everyone who saw my tweet yesterday. It's, it was a blind side to people in the organization, too, because Jim Montgomery had no idea that this was coming. Um, I talked to Jim, we talked to Jim Montgomery this morning, and I asked him, we asked him if he knew this was coming. He said no. And then after the scrum ended, I talked to him a little bit about it, and he asked me if I was as shell shocked about it as he was. Like, it's something where he had. He had no idea this was coming. Um, I haven't been able to. We haven't been able to get a hold of Jim Nill um, during this time, and now this and this clearly does not come from the Jim Nill playbook. I mean, Jim Nill is the person who, even when the stars are in, were in on the uh, Carlson Carlson trade and things like that. Mm-hmm. Jim's the type of person who wouldn't even comment on stuff like that, and so it's the type of thing where he doesn't. This is this is this is way out of character. This is which leads me to believe that Jim Nill really had nothing to do with this. This came straight from the owner getting angry and decided, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Because if Jim Nill, if Jim Nill was behind this, it's way out of character for him. If, uh, and so it, it, this came more so from, okay, the owner's pissed. The owner wants something done. And so he's going to send his, his best, the best disciple to do it. Well, and that kind of speaks to what I'm talking about there with like, it's, it's a problem. It seems like a, a more deep rooted issue where uh, if the GM really isn't part of this discussion, and I'm sure, you know, this is not an or obviously yeah. with the coach's comments and everything, regardless of what they're saying publicly, yeah. like it's pretty clear that everyone's on the same page here. But, you know, if they're going over Jim Nill's head to release this publicly, like imagine putting yourself in Jim Nill's shoes and you're opening up your secret Twitter with, uh, you know, some probably hidden username and you're opening it up and you're all of a sudden seeing this, everyone's blowing up and talking about it. And you're just like, Oh my God, like how do I rectify the situation? Because obviously I imagine you're instantly contacting the players themselves and trying to mend bridges or at least kind of smoothen the, the, the impact of this. So yeah, it's, it's all of it. Like from all these angles is just, uh, it's such an interesting dynamic to unpack. And, and I did want to go for like, I want to talk yeah. about it from a team perspective and then from Ben and Sagan individually. And, you know, mm-hmm. from the team here, I mean, they're currently sitting in a wild card spot, though I'd say their spot there is pretty tenuous. I mean, uh, how would you view the team's performance this year? Just because, you know, from a statistical perspective, I mean, the 27th in shot attempts, 25th in shots on goal. They have a negative goal differential. They're 21st in expected goals. Like, this is all stuff where, 
they're basically being saved by the fact that they have the second best goaltending in the league this year, which I think is a bit of a surprise and a testament to how good Ben Bishop's been when he's been healthy in some of these performances by Hudobin. But otherwise, it is a very underwhelming performance from a team that, you know, we hadn't seen Jim Montgomery at this level. But I remember when you and I were talking about him in the preseason, um, we were pretty glowing and sort of optimistic, I guess, at least cautiously about the direction the team was headed in and some of his comments about how they wanted to play and sort of recapturing that glory they had during those years where they were one of the most high octane offenses in the league. And it just hasn't really been that this year. I mean, if anything, they've been playing slower than they were under Ken Hitchcock last year, which is hard to believe. Yeah, they are a, uh, a mediocre, inconsistent team, which mm. is probably tells you why they should be in the middle of the league. Um, they are a team that, and we talked about it at the beginning of the season, there was a lot of bets, right? There's a lot of bets this team took on guys panning out. There was probably the biggest one is the Valerie Nachushkin deal where, okay, he's going to come back from the KHL and we're going to, he's going to be a goal scorer. Well, he hasn't scored a goal yet this season and he's, he hasn't scored a goal yet this season. And he's a healthy scratch tonight. So, yeah. um, the, uh, <laughs> so they took a lot of bets there. They bet they bet that Matthias Janmark would step up. They bet that this and that and all these other things would, would work, and it hasn't happened. And the so basically, the Stars' depth has not stepped up. They have not. Um, they've they haven't been able to really create anything more than they have. They have a top line and three third slash fourth lines. That's really what they have. And I, I think you're being have, generous. I think they have a top line, and then they have Radic Faxa. Yeah, well, yeah, they they have the actually they have a, they have a top line, and then they have the Fox line, which is pretty good. Right, but it's then other than that, it's it's a hodgepodge of everything else. Yeah. Um, and then it's they actually have a pretty positive story on defense because the fact that they're where they are in goals against, and obviously goaltending goes into huge, and goaltending is the great equalizer and all of this. But the, one of the reasons it's kind of impressive where they are in goals against because of they've played twelve different defensemen, yeah. and and. If you count Stephen Johns, who hasn't played all year, they've they've gone they're, they've gone all the way down to the 14th guy on their depth chart in defense. So that's a positive thing. Um, and basically, just they're they're a mediocre team, and frustration has grown from Jim Lights and Tom Gillardi and everything like that. That Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan aren't doing what Miko Ranton and, and and Gabriel Landeskog and Nathan McKinnon are doing in Colorado to right. make what's an average team on the ice look like a good team. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's, it's like, if you look at all the numbers, I mean, so when Ben, Raj, Rajalov, and Sagan have played together, it's been, you know, it's under 300 minutes, 5-on-5, five five, because they have tried some different combinations, and Rajalov has yeah. missed some time. But they're outscoring teams 20-8 to eight at 5-on-5. Five five. Like, that's a top, top the league. That's right there with the best line combinations in the league. But beyond that, I couldn't find a single line combination that had played at least 50 minutes together that was a net positive in terms of shot share. And that is is staggering. There isn't even a single sheltered line that is able to tilt the ice at least slightly in their favor when they're out there. And that sort of speaks to that depth issue. And then, you know, you go on down the line and you just look at the draft history of this team. And, and I think you can count on one hand the number of guys that they've taken that have become NHL regulars, at least for them, um, pretty much in the past decade since since they found Jamie Benn in the fourth or fifth round or wherever they wound up drafting him. And, and that speaks to the bigger issue of sort of the lack of depth and how much they're relying on these top guys. And I think the actual individual performance of those top two guys that got highlighted in Jim, Jim Light's rant, um, you know, they definitely could be better. But I think if you're looking at that as the sole reason for this team's struggles, like it seems like you're kind of missing the forest for the trees. Yeah, no, you you definitely are. They're they are a <laughs> Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan could mask other issues, but 
they're not the reason the stars are where they are. They are they are part of the reason, but there's 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 so many other issues that get glossed over by saying, okay, it's because they're terrible. Like the other night when Jim, one, the one comment that's popping in my head is when Jim Lights is talking about watching the Nashville game where they lose forty nine to where they, where they win two where they win two to nothing but they allow forty nine shots. Right, and he's talking about well everyone was everyone was good except for those two. That's not true at all. Hmm. No, they they let up they let up forty nine shots. They didn't let up forty nine shots because Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan were bad. They let up forty nine shots because the entire team got caved in by Nashville. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> the entire the entire team needs to be better. And just putting it on these two, you know what? It's 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 not fair to them to it's not fair to them if you refuse to ignore if, if you refuse to acknowledge the other issues, and that's kind of what this is doing is okay we're gonna ignore everything else and we're just gonna look at just these two when yeah these two can be better but Val Nichushkin doesn't have a goal we bet big on him Martin Hansel has Martin Hansel we 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 put five we put what is it, 5.5 million into the salary cap for him. And we took a gamble on that. And he's only played six games with his in and out back injury. Like right. there, there's a lot of other things here where that's say we take Nachushkin or you sign Blake. And I, I don't I actually don't mind Blake Como as a third line player, but you sign Blake Como for three years for 2.9 million or whatever it is. Like you're like those th- four, three guys I just talked about right now, that's $9 million where, you know what? Maybe you could have gotten that space for someone who's that's nine million dollars in theory. Maybe you could have done something for who knows Jeff Skinner, just things like that, where you could have done something more to help help these two as well, where not everything is on them to produce as well. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, I think we highlighted this in that preseason podcast we did, where we highlighted obviously the bets they've made, but also I think we were both a bit puzzled by the fact that they hadn't, you know done anything really to address on a more solid issue this this depth scoring and, and these concerns it was a lot of kind of questionable bets and i'm not going to defend valerie Trushkin as you're right here he doesn't have a single goal and obviously i think if you're evaluating him based on the hype especially back when he was in the a draft prospect like he's clearly not that type of player i think he's still got some utility as a defensive winger and he's good at transitioning the puck out of the zone and and, and sort of creating some stuff with his speed but he's clearly not going to be some sort of offensive catalyst that's going to lead this team in scoring so, I mean, you have to look elsewhere and, and considering the bet they did make on him, that's a very alarming and sort of now they're all of a sudden stuck recalibrating on the fly and it's really tough to do so in the NHL when you don't have solid secondary options. So, I mean, it's 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 a whole mess. And listen, we're going to talk about Ben and say again more here in a second. I just want to take a quick break here to hear from a sponsor and then we're going to pick up pick it up. OK, sounds good. Getting tickets online can be far too complicated with hundreds of websites and varying levels of reliability. How do you really know who to trust out there? That's why SeatGeek's the way to go, because they're going to take all of the guesswork out of the equation for you. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place, so you can easily find the seats you're looking for, for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek's going to get you closer to action for a great value. Not only does SeatGeek identify the best seats that fit your budget with their grading system, but every purchase is also fully guaranteed, so you can shop with supreme confidence knowing that what you pay for is exactly what you're going to get. That's why you need to make SeatGeek your go-to ticket source for everything from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. I know the holiday season's winding up, but that doesn't mean that you need to stop giving gifts to either yourself or your loved ones. Um, it's still a great opportunity to take advantage of SeatGeek and get tickets to go see your favorite team or go check out a live sporting event and uh, have a fun night out. I actually use SeatGeek the other day myself. I'm going uh, with the World Junior Championships here in Vancouver. I'm going to take a night off from work and just go as a fan and have a couple beers and go watch a game with my friends and uh we use SeatGeek to do so, and it was 
as easy as I say it is. It just took a couple of minutes, uh, a couple of clicks, and we're good to go. And best of all, as my listener, um, not only do you get all of those perks, but you also get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you have to do to get in on the deal is download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code PDO. That's promo code PDO for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now let's get back to the show. So let's start with Sagan here because, you know, Jim Lights re- referred to um, sort of the fact that, that Sagan's hit a lot of posts and crossbars and, you know, he's right. No one, um, no one has more than eight and he has 11. So it's clear that a bit, uh, you know, a few inches here and there and all of a sudden his goal totals could look a lot different. I think just in general, I mean, I believe he's shooting 7.5%, which obviously doesn't even include those posts and crossbars because it only counts shots on goal. And if you just kind of prorate it to his career norm, which is a slightly over 11%, all of a sudden you're talking about a guy who's got 17 goals, is on pace for nearly 40. And I don't think anyone is making a big issue of this. And now I'm sure, you know, as Jim Lights commented, some of it might have to do with where he's shooting the puck from and not getting to the right places. And I'm sure there's a little bit of that. But I think we see this time and time again in NHL circles where a guy either shoots higher or lower than we typically expect from him and especially in a 30 40 game sample where there's a lot of variability in that all of a sudden it can lead us to make extreme judgments and i i I, just having watched the stars i don't think that a lack of effort or a lack of shooting the puck from the right spots is a reason why tyler sagan isn't amongst the league leaders in scoring like i if he goes on a run here to where he score averages a goal a game over the next 10 games i wouldn't be surprised at all and i don't think it's going to be a fire lit under his butt. I think it's just going to be how this stuff typically works with goal scorers. I don't know. Have you seen anything from watching him that the numbers aren't necessarily capturing? Yeah. I mean, I, I, there's, there's a couple things where I think Tyler can be better mm. now. When I say there's a couple areas where he can be better. And I think, and I think those are, there's just, there's just some things where he can do. And, but it's not in the goal scoring area, actually. Like, I, I think there's certain things he can do a little bit better in the defensive zone. There's something, there's just some little awareness things that may be slightly off, but those aren't things that would lead me to ever be to go to a Jim Lights level of talking about how poorly he's playing. Those are types of things, those are the type of things where I look at and say, okay, he's in year one under Jim Montgomery, and he's still learning how Jim Montgomery wants him to play. So it's, it's that's still okay. I'm fine with that. From the goal scoring perspective, he's hit, he's hit 11 posts. He's got. He's been. Un, he's been extremely unlucky. Yeah, um, I mean, and, he's like 150 shots so far, or something, which is amongst the yeah, league leaders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's he's creating chances. He's he's doing all of that. Or could he could he get in? Could he get into the dirty areas a little bit more? Sure, a little bit. But he also has the shot where he is a threat from where he's been hitting posts from the circles and things like that. So I don't have I don't have a problem as much with him shooting. I just. I, I think, as you said, this is kind of this is kind of an overreaction to him being extremely unlucky with things. Um, and the other thing, and maybe this is just something he has to deal with emotionally, is occasionally he hits posts, and sometimes he gets down a little bit. You mm. see when he hits a post, so maybe may, maybe that's something as well, where it's just okay. We want to see a better if you're. If you if you hit the post, let's let's not see the slump on the shoulders. Let's not worry about it. Maybe that's something that needs to be fixed. But overall, Tyler Sagan isn't Tyler Sagan isn't really the issue. His point totals, yes, they can be better, and there's certain little things he can do and with details and stuff like that. But it's it's not nearly as bad as it's as it's getting painted because of this. And I mean, as you said, the other numbers the other numbers look good. The Stars are a much better hockey team when he's on the ice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean, definitely, without, without question, I, I will say, I think both Ben and Sagan 
and especially I bring this up for Sagan because, you know, early in his career, there's especially back in Boston, there was a lot of questions that I think were overblown considering his age and, and just how hockey typically works that, you know, he was immature or whatever and, and his priorities. And I think the fact that he's handled this as gracefully as he has, like yeah. all the comments that I've read from both him and Jamie Ben have been, um, I think, handled, you know, expertly and and listen they had a full day to sort of gather their thoughts and probably run this by their people and not necessarily be shooting from the hip but it would have been very easy to turn this into a uh, and we'll still see it might happen down the road but to turn this into uh, an even worse situation where they really kind of um you know pour gasoline on the fire and if anything they kind of I thought both defused it a little bit today with their comments or they were both like, listen, we both know we need to be better. We're not going to comment on, on the story itself. And they sort of played it off like that. And it's certainly not the last they're going to hear of it, but I do think they handled it very well. Well, and let me to touch a little bit more on Tyler specifically. One thing that he's someone who we, I think we may have touched on this when we talked back in August, but he's someone who, when he got ran out of Boston, there was all this whole reputation and everything like that. And I guarantee you there were people who saw my story yesterday who said, oh, that's just Tyler Sagan. And that's and, and, and Jim Light said him a huge disservice because of that, because Tyler is one of the guys who actually – he gets it. That's that's yeah. the other thing is Sagan actually gets it. He's he's the most involved player in the community, and obviously getting involved in the community doesn't equate to putting pucks on the net. But he's one of the most involved players in the community. He brings kids out to games all the time. He's he he, he actually understands that there's a role as a hockey player outside of playing on the ice as well. And and just and with what happened yesterday, kind of he got painted again as a little bit as of a as a problem child, which is unfair to him because. He hasn't been that since he's been in Dallas. He's been he's been a leader. He's helped younger players. He's been a guy who has been who has done everything else outside the rink. And he did. He handled everything. He handled everything really well today. Um, they really could have. They really could have poured gasoline on the fire. They really could have made it a lot worse. Mm-hmm. Um, they they could have pushed it further. And even even in their non-public comments, I talked to both Jamie and Tyler separately. That was they they talked to me and I have a huge amount of respect for both of them because they both talked to me about how they respected what I had to do too, which I actually give them a huge credit for that because I easily could have gotten the FU treatment from them because I was the one who wrote the story and I didn't get that. And so I give them both a lot of credit for that. Yeah. You didn't get shot as the messenger. Yes. Well, I think, yeah. So, I mean, I think both you and I are both in agreement that Sagan's going to be fine. Like I I think if he keeps playing this way, the goals will eventually come. I think with Ben, not necessarily this year, but you know, if you're just looking at this from a long-term perspective on how this is going to shake out and how the star team is going to be built and what they can do. I mean, you know, with Sagan, we mentioned he's got that eight year, $78 million contract that's kicking in this summer. And I think he's a perfectly fine bet to keep being amongst the league leaders and scorers for at least the next handful of years with Ben. I'm a little bit worried. Um, I think there are some red flags in his underlying performance. I mean, the counting stats are going to be there. Like he's going to, flirt with 30 35 goals and get his points just because he's still an elite finisher and he's still in a great spot playing a lot of minutes but i think you know if you just look at sort of the shot rates a bit down uh he's definitely drawing fewer penalties and taking many more which is kind of typically a sign to me that a forward is slowing down a little bit physically and it would make sense with his playing style and the type of body he has and the wear and tear that he might not age as gracefully as some other players but you know it's still I think a bit overblown considering he's not even 30 yet but just if you're looking down the line and the fact that you know they're paying him 13 million this year 13 million again next year and he's got six years left at a 9.5 million annual salary like 
it seems crazy to say because he has been the face of the franchise and he's meant so much to the Dallas Stars organization and he's still considered to be an elite player. But would if you're picking between one of the two to shake this up or if there is going to be a fallout from this, like it does seem like potentially partying with Jamie Benn would be a more calculated move from a star's perspective. I don't know. Like, what do you think about that? hundred percent. I mean, it's the, that's the, that's exactly what it is. Jamie is, Jamie Ben is, I don't know how many stars games you watch, but when's the last time you watched a game where Jamie Ben has, has gone into this, has gone into this mode where the stars aren't going to lose tonight, because that's something we used to see. The stars would be the stars in the, the 2000, the year he won the Art Ross, the year he, the year the stars had the best record in the Western Conference, Jamie Ben would enter enter this zone where I'm going. The team is not going to lose tonight, and I'm going to be the reason why. And he would he could do it for a full game. He would be for his full 20 22 minutes. He was the best player on the ice. The other team took notice, and everyone in the arena realized, okay, Jamie Ben's taking over this game. I have, and I watch every Stars game. I haven't seen him do that for a full game in two years now. I mean, yeah. he there are there are stretches. Um, he scored an overtime goal and scored an overtime goal in Vancouver, where he was where where, where the Stars won in Vancouver, and he was he took over, and, and but he took over in overtime in the third period. There was other stretches where you've seen him take over for shifts, but he doesn't take games over anymore. And that's what the, and that's the player that people, the stars keep hoping he's going to be. And he hasn't done it in really two years. I mean, maybe, maybe there was one last year that I'm missing, but I haven't, I haven't seen him take over games and basically go into that stars. Always, everyone liked using the word beast mode about him. So I gone into that beast mode where this is, this is, this is a, uh, this is a game that belongs to Jamie Ben, And we just, we haven't seen it. And to think that he hasn't done it for two years to think that it's now going to come back that seems kind of foolhardy, isn't it? Yeah, it does. I think he definitely still has those kind of glimpses and those moments and, and, yeah. and you, you see it every once in a while, but definitely at his apex, he was sort of this like unparalleled uh, freight train or locomotive where guys are just draped all over him and he was carrying guys around the ice and taking over games and really physically, or kind of like an Alex Ovechkin, just kind of physically leaving his imprint on the game and in a functional sense, not just throwing his body around for no reason, but really um, dominating the game. And we don't see that anymore. And you're right. I think with all the, you know, nagging injuries he's had and sort of, you know, you mentioned guys draped all over him that adds to the extra miles and wear and tear on the body. Like it's, I, I think you can't just evaluate the games he's actually played in a star's uniform. You need to add on a little bit more just based on the brand of hockey he has played in those games. And I think expecting that to come back full time is uh, another bet that the stars will probably lose. And I, I imagine that it must be tough to emotionally distance yourself from it because of what he has meant to the organization. But I think in hockey circles, people still think of him as being that Jamie Ben that he once was when he was winning the Art Ross and when he was at the peak of his game. And if you could get another team to potentially bite on that and not just take on his contract, but actually pay you with valuable assets back in a return. Like I, I would think long and hard about that and the window to do so might be coming to a close pretty soon based on the trajectory he's been on. Oh yeah. Realistically, if it was going to happen, it's not like you're going to be able to, you're not going to be able to fool someone next year even like it's it's the type of thing where if the stars are consider okay we're going to move jamie ben and obviously that's that's the type of trade that requires so many moving parts between no move clauses and getting and getting cap to work and everything like that but he's you're he's he's at a point right now in his career where if he's only he's only going to kind of stay where he is or get worse 
you're not going to be able to sell anyone else on that in a year or so. So it, it is the time that if you were to look down that path, okay, this is what, when the stars would have to look into it. Um, it doesn't seem, it's one of those things that doesn't ever seem likely that'll happen, especially with what the, what, with how the stars have felt about Jamie Ben. I know, for example, at one point, maybe two, I'm trying to go off the, during Lindy Ruff's final season, I remember, um, I remember basically having a conversation with someone in the organization where only person untouchable in this organization is number 14. That's mm-hmm. the only person who's untouchable. Not just, and they weren't just talking about players. They're talking about coaches and management and everything. They're like, 14 is the only one that's untouchable. And now obviously yesterday's comments come straight from the owner too. That's not the case anymore. <laughs> so, uh, it's, uh, it'd be very hard to happen, but you know what? It's, if there weren't, uh, I also wouldn't be shocked if, 15 or 16 other GMs called Jim Nil today just out of to say, Hey Jim, how you doing? <laughs> well, no, I, and I, I did see that. I mean, obviously yeah, fans yeah. aren't fans aren't necessarily yeah. the most, uh, the best litmus test for this, but like I, yeah. I, I was reading the, some of the comments on, on your thread when you tweeted out the story yesterday and there was a lot of people saying like, Oh, any team would love to have these two guys. And obviously in a vacuum, that's true. Like if you add Jamie Ben to your team right now without sacrificing anything of it and not taking into account his cap hit, I'm sure your team will be better off for it. But I do think, especially with his style of play and as we get towards uh, the trade deadline and with the postseason around the corner, like I, he does profile as the type of player that a team could talk themselves into potentially recapturing that glory and being even more sort of dominant or valuable um, during a long playoff run. And I think that's a distinct possibility. So I don't know. It's, it's obviously very tough and obviously it only takes the one team to talk themselves into it and pay the type of price that would lure him out of Dallas. But I think that's where the conversation starts. I think if you're looking at it right now, I mean, no player is untouchable, but if there is anyone, it starts with Tyler Sagan and Jamie Ben is lower on the rung right now. Oh yeah. I mean, the only really in the stars organization, you talk about untouchable players. It's first one is, and cause we, you, we had, you and I did a whole podcast about this. Miro Hishkin is number one on the untouchable list, but, right. <laughs> but after that, yeah, it's Tyler Sagan. And then, and then Jamie Ben is not as high as, as he clearly used to be. Um, he is at a, uh, it's interesting too because he's also a player to we we get really attached to fans fans get really attached to what a captain does and his role and everything like that and also uh getting excited about what they did because i mean jamie ben had some of his best years um some of his best years early on when the stars had no money the stars were bankrupt and he was very good as a 20 21 year old um and People remember that, and they like, and, and that's something that it sucks that those that those his those years for him were were spent when the stars had no money and really couldn't build a team around him. Right. The stars are now at the point where another old probably baseball cliche. I'm not sure who said it. Where it's the type of thing where you sell a year too early than a year too late, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe that's something you have to look at if you're a star if, if you're the stars, just because. Uh, this contract isn't going to age well. We know that even, even with the cap going up, this contract isn't going to age well. And it's, it's one that having, having an executive say that you're terrible. Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't all of a sudden make you five years younger. Well, and that's, that's the thing. I think also um, if there was a plan to trade him, like I imagine GMs are probably doing their due diligence as they regularly do and are reaching out to Jim Nell right now and seeing what's going on there. But uh, if there is a plan, an internal plan to potentially test the market or see what you can get for a guy like Jamie Ben, those types of comments coming from ownership are probably not a good way to build up a market. Like it seems like you're, uh, 
you know, not, not necessarily the teams would be scared off by it, but you're clearly losing a bit of your leverage if you make it clear that you're incredibly unhappy with a player's performance. It's not like you're selling him at his absolute highest. It does make it easier for him to waive a no-move clause, though. Right. Yes. <laughs> I guess that is definitely true. There's a uh, the component is, to that as well. That is... Uh, now, and I don't think this... I really don't think this is... This This was a... This, I don't think this was statements to get Jamie Benn to waive his no-move clause. But, yes, this doesn't help his overall value or how other people view him, but... If all of a sudden it came time, we're going to trade Jamie Benn. It's easier to be traded. It's easier to accept a move when you feel like they're trying to push you out, and you feel like you're just going to be told that you're that you're terrible every time uh, every time you play. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly. Um, all right, let's take a quick break here. One, one more yep. one, and then we're going to end this conversation. Okay. Wanted to quickly tell you about FanDuel, who's also sponsoring today's episode of the Hockey PDO Cast uh, this season. For those of you that haven't heard or noticed, we've partnered with them, and I'm doing. Usually, uh, one co- one daily contest a week where I set it up for you know the first twenty listeners that sign up, and for those of you that haven't played, you just pick a lineup based on the players who are playing that given night slate of games and go up against each other. And usually, it's for a small sum of money. We do like five bucks or something, and so it's mostly just bragging rights and kind of uh, competition, and it makes the games more fun to watch when you have a rooting interest. So, uh, for those of you to listen to one of the most recent shows that I did with Rob Pizzola, you've heard about the uh, ups and downs and the roller coaster nature of it, and uh, how I will never be able to trust again because of Dominic Simone. But uh, that's kind of the uh, the beauty of daily fantasy um so yeah uh go to fanduel.com slash pdo and let them know we sent you and they'll give you five dollars to play with kind of just a bit of a you know starter pack to sweeten the pot and give you uh some extra money to play around with and get your feet wet um so hopefully i see you at these contests are running and uh you know feel free to experiment and try out there with uh your hand at various other things i know that a lot of you play fantasy football and now that uh most season-long leagues are done uh, as we're heading towards week 17 in the playoffs uh, FanDuel will be hosting contests regardless so you know daily fantasy is a good way to kind of uh, keep those uh, fantasy juices going and still get the rush of it even though your league's over um, so yeah just go to FanDuel.com slash PDO let them know we sent you and hopefully I'll see you guys there when we do these contests uh, and with that let's get back to the rest of the podcast with Sean Shapiro one final thing, you did mention Miro Heiskanen in there and sort of how he's atop the list of the untouchables on the stars. And you and I, I recommend people go back and listen, although it's obviously a bit dated now, but we really got into him and sort of how he profiles as a player and, and what to expect from him. And now that we have seen about 40 games worth of him, it's it's interesting because I think that overall, I'd say the stars are vindicated for how um, heavily they backed him and sort of... Um, held him up on a pedestal before he'd ever played an NHL game because he's looked so slick with the puck and he looks like he really could be um, something of a transcendent player on that blue line. At the same time, he's had a very, um, you know, tricky season so far because with the Klingberg injury, I think he was asked to do a bit too much too early and you know that combination with him and SL and Dell really got caved in I believe they had like a 41% expected goals or something together and they were playing heavy minutes against the other team's best players with uh, no one really behind them and it was a tough position to put him into but he has been playing a ton and that doesn't necessarily mean that you know he's going to be great. But if you look at sort of um, the historical precedent for a guy who's still 19 years old playing the types of minutes he has in the position, it's typically meant that, you know, that guy is going to wind up having a pretty, pretty great career and, and be in the Norris conversation and, and wind up doing big things. So I think there's a lot of positives at the same time, just purely in terms of the actual numbers this year. Um, 
it hasn't necessarily been as great as sort of maybe his highlights or his goal totals would indicate. Yeah, I agree with that. And it, I mean, obviously we have to, we still have to remember that he's a 19 year old kid. Of course. That's, and that's something too, where, um, and I think his underlying numbers, they probably, they would definitely be better if the stars didn't go 16 games missing John Klingberg. Yes. And they'd, and they'd also be much, they'd also, they'd also be, his numbers would also be a lot better if when John Klingberg's healthy, his partner wasn't Roman Polak. Yep. That does not help. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, the fact that and that and that's something where I think the the one thing that we, we talk a lot about stars injuries on defense and stuff like that. And I actually think a in theory, a stars second pairing of um, Miro Hishkin and, and Steven if Steven Johns was healthy and was able to play, like that's a pairing that I think would have been really good had they been allowed to play together from the start of the season and things like that. So I think there's some underlying reasons for his 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 numbers not being those the estimated goals and everything for those numbers not being where it needs to be or not needs to be where it could be. Right. Um, I also think it's kind of a testament that it's where it is because in theory it could have been a lot worse. Like just, that's the other thing. Like with when Klingberg's injury happened and how things were going, things really could have caved in on Dallas completely. We wouldn't have been having Jim lights talking about Ben and Sagan here December 30th, they would have been, he would have been, they would have been taking, they would have been yelling at him back in November because <laughs> it really could have been a lot worse. And that's amazing to think about because I mean, they've got Taylor Fadoon playing in the lineup tonight and he's been, he's been playing well, but Taylor Fadoon was a vet scratch in the AHL in Rochester to start yeah. this season. Like, like that's, that's where this defense is. And he's, and Haskins done such a good job of being able to help things stay afloat or at least like tread water slightly. Um, I'd really like to. I'm, I'm really interested to see how he grows and how he is now able to kind of get going with Klingberg back at full speed. And now that he'll have 40 games under his belt, I think he could be really, really good in the second half of the season. He's already been really good for a 19 year old. I agree. Yeah, no, he definitely passes yeah. the eye test. And I think, you know, typically we see young defensemen kind of gradually get ramped up in terms of their usage and what they're exposed to. And I think even with. I think there's going to be a fascinating conversation between him and Rasmus Dahlin in terms of who's the best rookie defenseman and also how their careers are going to turn out. And um, even with him, we see that, you know, it's slowly Phil Housley has been gradually giving him more and more and ramping yeah. up his minutes. And with Heiskanen, I'm sure that was the plan. And we saw early in the year, he was, there was a lot of games where he was playing 19, 20, maybe even 21 minutes. And then all of a sudden with Klingberg out, just kind of out of necessity, because this is a team that is still competing for a playoff spot, all of a sudden, he's the best option left available. And all of a sudden he's playing 23, 24, 25 minutes. And that is an entirely different animal to contend with when you're still a 19 year old who's playing your oh, first yeah. season in, in North America. It's not even like he was playing major junior here or college hockey or even in the AHL. Like, uh, he, you know, he was playing in a pro league last year and he obviously was great. And he was the, the defenseman of the year there. And, and there's a reason why people thought so highly of him, but this is an entirely different beast to contend with if you're a guy like him. Oh yeah. And, and then also he can't, he can't, uh, he can't hide either. That's the other thing where earlier in the season, earlier in the season, yeah, he's a top prospect. He's good. Okay. Now Detroit, when Detroit plays their game tonight, obviously they're circling and, and, and when they, when they're looking at the whiteboard before the game, obviously John Klingberg's names get circled, but all of a sudden, okay, we're going to go make sure you're putting that, you're hitting Hashkinen at the end of the play. Make sure you're doing all this, all that stuff, all this stuff where once you, it's 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 good for it's good for us. It, it, maybe it's it's good for him to go through it now as a 19 year old because he's learning basically what he's going to have to go through for his entire career. Where he's going to be targeted, he's going to be. Other teams are trying are going to try and, and and try and beat him and, and game plan around him. And it's probably a really good thing for the stars that he's going through it as a 19 year old right now because 
it's it's sink or swim, and he's been swimming relatively well. Yeah, no, he has, and obviously context is very important. And the other the other thing that's interesting too, and it's just this doesn't really answer a question that you asked, but it's just I, the other thing that I just laugh at, and because I watch Hayskinen all the time, and he's so impressive to me. Mm-hmm. He's one of the he's and but I. I, I you can like both him and Rasmus Dahlin. That's the other thing that I just laugh at because I see people always talk about who's better, Dahlin or, or Heishkin, and all of a sudden it's um, – I think they're both great, and all, but all of a sudden it's the thing where if you like one over the other, then you're completely wrong. I, these are two fun – we got two teenagers playing two teenagers playing in the NHL right now who could go head-to-head in this conversation for best defenseman in the NHL for five, six – for. 10, 10 years or so yep. we should enjoy it like I, it's kind of funny. it's kind of it's kind of I, I always laugh when I see people talking about who's better and obviously Dallas people hover uh, defend Hashkin and, and Buffalo people defend uh, defend Deline and becomes life or death and it's like enjoy both of them that, no that's yeah no I mean <laughs> we do this all the time as, as hockey fans like it, it we kind of artificially create this rivalry that's not really there, but it's just because both guys play the same position and came into the league at the same time. And I guess one guy's Finnish and one guy's Swedish and all of a sudden it becomes like a whole thing. And I, I, I it's, it's okay to appreciate both. I don't think it, you know, giving a glowing review of one of them doesn't all of a sudden mean that the other guy's not as good or he sucks. It's, it's kind of its own individual comment on that player. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I guess, I don't know, like, is there anything else with the Stars team that we've yet to touch on? Like, I, I think they're going to be a fascinating team to follow, obviously, with this story that came out, but just because, like, it's pretty clear based on the comments and sort of what we've heard coming out of Dallas that there really is no appetite, especially with this core and how much money is being dished out to them to miss the playoffs for a third straight year. I think that's kind of viewed as particularly unacceptable if you're if you're running the Dallas Stars, and they're right on the bubble there, and I think that the Western Conference has been relatively underwhelming, and at least it's opened up for... Uh, a team like the stars to if they get their if they get their stuff together to make a bit of a run so i i'm very curious to see what is going to transpire over the next couple weeks and months leading up to the trade deadline and whether they're gonna feel the need or the impetus to um make one of those splash moves that we were kind of waiting for them to make this summer and they never ultimately wound up doing and i don't think it'll involve trading their young top prospects but you know potentially taking on more money or 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 getting creative like i'm very curious to see how they handle it or whether this stuff kind of organically plays out yeah the other thing that's going to be interesting and uh, jim light's kind of alluded to it at the last quote of my story yesterday where he said because of this, we're going to run through another GM. Like, I mean, he, he basically kind of, and I know people have, have artificially put Jim Neal on the hot seat and everything like that. And basically he confirmed that, you know what, we missed the playoffs. We may be searching for another GM. Like mm-hmm. this is like, and, and then you see, you get another GM and, and then all of a sudden, like this is the next 40 games. I mean, the, yeah, there's what, 45 games left in the season. So the remainder of this season is going to be fascinating for the future state of this franchise, because if they, I think if they are able to get into the playoffs, if they're able to get into the playoffs and Jim Montgomery gets them, gets them to a, gets them to the first round and t- Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan are able to put this behind them. And then maybe, maybe you have the opportunity to to really add something in the summer with the cap space. Now you're going to have to sell that. Now Jim Neal's going to have a tough job of basically selling that prospective free agent of, Hey, uh, by the way, don't worry. We'll put we'll put a mute on Jim Mites. I'm uh, not yeah. Jim Mites. So like that, that that does that doesn't help any GM with that's the person who's running the organization right now. But he, uh, yeah, it'll be, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how things play out because this is a team that there's some 
there's some good things to like. There's some fun storylines. There's some that are that are really fascinating. Obviously, what's happened in the past 24 hours, and I don't really know what they. I mean, we don't really know exactly who they are going to be as a team. We know they're kind of mediocre and inconsistent. But are they mediocre and consistent in the way where okay, this if if this we check this box, all of a sudden you know what they're good. Or are they really mediocre and inconsistent, and this is as good as they'll be? Like we we don't know the answer to that, and I'm fascinated to learn what the actual answer is to that. Well, they kind of been like. Philadelphia Flyers West obviously they've come at it from a different perspective because their goaltending has actually been really really good this year but they've been sort of painfully mediocre where I think part of the frustration is that there are great players in here and they should be better but for whatever reason the overall package has been woefully underwhelming for a long time now and it's clear that's led to a lot of this frustration bubbling over and I don't know I'm very curious to see how that plays out I, I we've talked about this mostly from a sort of um reporters journalistic perspective where you've been reporting the facts i i haven't really asked you do you just purely from your own sort of sense of it or what you'd expect um based on all the information you've gathered do you have a inkling to how this is going to play out the rest of the season uh with 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 ben and sagan and sort of how it's going to all be handled or do you think it's just one of those things where it's really impossible to predict and we just have to wait to see how it plays out i mean it's impossible it, it is impossible to predict but it, it's the type of thing where i don't see um, there's not, there's not a middle road here, right? Like, I mean, you basically, when you go through and, and this type of stuff comes out, it's either going to be great, either, either Ben and Sagan rally and all of a sudden Jim lights is able to pat himself on the back in, in his office and he feels happy about it. And the team is able to, the team is able to, uh, say, you know what, we're going to stand up for our guys. And we're going to get it done. Or it goes really poorly. It's just things spiral out of control. Like, I'd like to think, um, I'd like to think just it, it, it's going to be based off how it's been handled so far by the players. I'd like to think it's going to be the more positive answer and things are going to at least kind of trend forward a little bit. Um, but it's, it's, it's so hard to, to put a realistic prediction on this. Mm. Well, I think either way we have, we haven't heard the last of the story and that, that means good yeah. things for the, for the PDO cast because we'll hopefully, uh, be able to get you back on to dissect uh however it winds up shaking out sean what are you uh other than this story obviously which i i feel like has probably consumed your last uh 24 hours pretty heavily <laughs> um what are you working on and where can people check out your work so uh twitter is at sean shapiro the uh check out the work on the athletic a couple things coming up uh it's kind of funny on the timing of all of this uh we just talk about the uh we, we talk about honesty and openness and everything like that. And one thing that I had been fascinated with this season is Jim Montgomery's how straightforward he is about things. And he is the hockey coach who gives us his lines directly, tells us exactly what he thinks, things like that. And so I've got a story coming up later this week where um, he and I talked all about how his dad, his dad was actually a Olympic boxer, actually a Olympic boxer from Canada um, really to help to find him and, gave him that no bullshit attitude and everything like that and so uh, i've got that coming up this week and uh i also have a, if you're a stars fan and you haven't yet i you want to buy someone a holiday gift i have a book i wrote that came out earlier this year and 100 things stars fans should know and do before they die you can go find that on amazon or local bookstore and and then and that's what i'm doing until uh, someone else opens their mouth <laughs> you might need to update that book pretty soon here <laughs> exactly <laughs> all right sean well uh, i appreciate you taking the time during this uh busy part of the season and uh thank you for answering the bat signal and we'll uh, we'll chat with you soon hey anytime cheers the hockey pedio cast with dimitri Phil-
Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDOcast.